everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Who's Who podcast, a show where I, Savannah Edmondson, sit down with your fellow classmates and try to get to the heart of who they really are. Today, I'm sitting here with Elizabeth Kaywet Gluckman. How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> Thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, how is it coming toward the end of your first semester of junior year and before studying abroad? It was a really crazy week. I got more information about two internships this week. I feel like I have a lot of decision making. It's crazy stuff. Are you excited to go abroad? I'm a little nervous. I hadn't left Massachusetts really before this summer when I was in Pittsburgh for my job at American Eagle and Airy. And it was kind of hard being away from home because I hadn't realized that the rest of the world is really different from like liberal Massachusetts. I saw a Confederate flag on a truck and I was shook. You had never seen that before? A Confederate flag? Yeah. Oh, never <laughs> in my life. <laughs> I thought it was like low-key a myth. And I, I hadn't been anywhere where it was just like religious straight white people. And I was just like, wow, this is scary. How did so, you adjust? What did you do to adjust? I just lived out the summer, I think. I probably won't go back to Pittsburgh. I went to the New York office for a day. It was really cool. They have a private jet at American Eagle and Aerie, so I got to go on it for a day, and you just walk onto the runway and onto the jet, and it's like, whoa. Oh. So I went to that office for a day, and that gave me hope that, like, real people still exist. <laughs> and then I went back to Pittsburgh. So you're, where are you from? I'm from Salem, Massachusetts. And how was it living in the spooky capital of the world? <laughs> the Halloween capital yeah. of the world. I love Salem so much. I love Halloween. It's the most important day of the year. When Halloween month starts, it's like Halloween day one, October 1st, Halloween day two, October 2nd. And more than half of our town's like revenue comes from Halloween. So it's really, really important to like the survival of Salem, I guess, <laughs> which people don't realize. But it's also really annoying because you can't get anywhere for a month. And I live downtown right by the House of the Seven Gables. We share like a parking lot. Mm -hmm. So it's really chaotic. What was your best costume, Halloween costume, so far? Um, picking one is tough, but one year when I was little, I was a playing card. So I had a giant piece of cardboard on each side of me. Like, I'm sure you can visualize that. It looks real dumb, <laughs> but it was, like, hand-painted really elaborately to look exactly like an actual playing card because in Salem people are really into like doing your own mm -hmm. costumes so that one was probably the most effort but the one that received the most attention downtown was a really elaborate skeleton costume because it had skeleton makeup and then everyone was like oh can I take a picture with you people do that on Halloween night so they take pictures with people in costumes and it's like not creepy how was growing up in Salem like uh you know high school days middle school what was who was high school Elizabeth <laughs> Um, well, K through eight, I went to like low key a hippie school. So it was a multiple intelligence based school where you didn't get real grades. You got checks and check pluses. And there were only 20 kids in my entire grade. And then I went to a regular mainstream high school. Both were public schools, but the high school was really different than that, which was definitely hard. But, I don't know, I think I was lucky because I did marching band in high school, 
and you get to start in eighth grade so then you already know people coming in people say hi to you in the hallway and will help you find all your classes and that was definitely good but I ended up not actually liking marching band that much I really like playing music and so I stayed in it because you need to do marching band to do wind ensemble and concert band and stuff like that but I found my friends more through sports which instrument did you play I played flute primarily. That's what I played in like classical music. And then I played alto and barry sax also. I played them in like jazz band when I was a lot younger. And then I played alto sax for marching band every year. And you said you found your, you found a stronger group in sports? Definitely, yeah. So I what definitely was your found sport my group that you in played? sports. So I started out high school as a swimmer because I had been swimming my whole life and I was on a club team since fifth grade maybe and club teams a lot of work you're practicing like two hours a day every day like you get up at like 5 a.m on the weekends and go practice and go to meets and I continued that through the beginning of high school but then once I hit I want to say sophomore year I stopped doing club swimming which was the best decision ever because then I was able to do more high school sports. I had doubled with swimming. So you go to regular like high school practice for an hour and a half or whatever. Then you just go right to another practice and you're practicing like, it can be like almost like four hours a day, more once you have dry lands and stuff. So I spent the beginning of high school doing that. And it's a little bit isolating because, I don't know, a lot of your classmates aren't doing that like it's kind of a big athletic commitment and like people on our team would go really far with their swimming like people are going to like nationals they're going to college to swim and then ultimately I decided like I didn't want to keep putting in all of my time to swimming I didn't think I was good enough to be that good and then I started doing cross country in high school and after my first year on the team, I became the captain, and I was, at least in the high school sphere, I was better at that than I was in club swimming, which you're competing with everyone in the state, everyone in the region, eventually everyone in the U.S. at mm-hmm. some of the meets we would go to. And cross country was a much better atmosphere for me, for sure, even though I hated running so much. Running is so hard. It was not enjoyable, but for some reason I ended up being pretty good at it. So I did that, and I really liked being a captain, so I stuck with that and did, like, track and stuff, too. I still did swimming in the winter because it's fun, and I miss it a lot. I definitely still miss it. I was—I had only swam my whole life. I had never done soccer. I had never done any other sports. I just was spending all of my time swimming every day. And that's pretty much—it's—like, you have a team, but it's pretty individual because you're the only person in the water. So how did you— um, so you ended up, you you found that you're more of like a people person than just... Yeah, I'm a good team player. And now I do even more of a team-oriented sport. Right. I'm our school's rugby captain and have been for the last, whatever, like year and a half or so since the beginning of my sophomore year. Have and you always felt like you're, you've been a leader on the inside and that's... Yeah, I'm definitely a pretty natural team leader. I have really high standards for what I expect from people and for myself, and I'm, like, responsible to a fault, so I think I'm an ideal captain. Where do you think that comes from? 
Um, my mom's never made me do my work at all. So if I wanted to succeed and get my stuff done, I had to do it myself. Like, I remember being in, like, whatever, like, third or fourth grade, and, like, you get a packet of homework at the school I went to for the week, and you do it in your own time throughout the week. There's not deadlines every day or daily homework. I remember it being, like, the night before it was due, and my mom hadn't, like, reminded me to do it all week, which, like, obviously, like, you should do your own homework, but I was really little, Mm -hmm. and I was upset because then I was doing it all that night, and she was like, oh, I guess I should have reminded you to do it, and then I realized, like, oh, no, I just have to do all my shit myself, so... I believe if you don't do it, no one will do it for you. And if you want to be the best, you have to do everything yourself and make sure you're doing what you need to get where you want to go because no one's going to do anything for you or give anything to you and you can't necessarily rely on anyone else. And it sounds really harsh, but if you have that viewpoint, then you're pleasantly surprised when people are really great and the people you have in your life are really good people. So I think it helps you be successful. That makes a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> I think you found that you were a team leader and that you had all of this um, independence in high school. How do you think you've been able to use that during your time, your years at Brandeis? And do you think that you've become more of a team leader or do you think that you've found that you can rely on a couple of people? Um, I think... In high school, the situation I was leading in was really unique because my co-captains were my boyfriend, who I dated for, like, most of high school, my best female friend, who I'd known since I was, like, a year old, and her boyfriend, who was my boyfriend's best friend, and I had known since kindergarten. So it was a really collaborative dynamic. Yeah, it's a really tight group when we've all known each other forever and we're like co-dating and best friends so I think coming into college after being friends and leading with people I had known essentially my whole life a lot of my friends I had known since like preschool it was really interesting to learn how to work with new people and people from so many different backgrounds like not everyone was just from Salem and I think Definitely my best achievement as a leader has been our women's rugby team because when I came in, it was a very senior-heavy team, but still a small team. I know you were at our, like, first practice or something with me. Yeah, I came to one, but I'm afraid (laughs) of breaking my back, so I don't go. Yeah, and it was a small group, and it was they all graduated. Only two people really were left who were very committed after my freshman year, and now we have a team of 15 girls 15 young empowered women who are all really really dedicated which is a huge growth point and we just had the first winning season in who knows how many years so I really feel like I spent the last year like killing myself to make our team what it is and I put so much work in all the time and it was really exhausting and didn't feel rewarding a lot of the time because you get a lot of people who aren't as committed as you are and even though there were people that helped me I was still doing a lot of it but eventually I think I was able to make the atmosphere really to like force the atmosphere to be what I wanted the team to be 
and we got great new coaching and that really helped draw people in and keep them there and allowed it to become successful i think your efforts have been noticed thank you and um but also by anonymous people on very nice confessions you don't have a facebook uh yeah i don't have a facebook but um i did see that somebody was like why does the women's rugby team look like a sorority of like great and hot girls (laughs) (laughs) um and then they were like i want to be on it how do i do that anyone can be on it we'll take you right now as long as you're okay with hitting people so well (laughs) <laughs> I think I think you're going to get an influx of people. I hope so. We've been, like, heckling everyone in Upper this week, selling our, like, candy canes or whatever. And people definitely know we're here. So it's hard to find people who are willing to do such a violent sport, though. That's the biggest drawback. Women's sports think? typically aren't contact-driven yeah. at all. And our sport is all contact. Right. So... That in itself makes it be seen as violent, though it's not unsafe. Let's all emphasize that. You talked a lot about your extracurricular activities. Let's go into what your major is and why you chose it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so right now I have two majors, film, television, and interactive media, and interpersonal and mass communications. So the film major, well, first off, I came in as a psych and English major. That was my projected like trajectory and then I took multimedia storytelling with Mark and I decided I love video and I was set on it and became a film major and I love my video classes I want to work in video I've been interning in video it's definitely what I want I just really like it I think you can tell people's stories in a really great way through it and I have fun with it and the time passes really quickly and when you have something where the time just flies by and you have the power to like do what you want to get done in your life, like achieve what you need to be fulfilled with it, mm-hmm. then you should do that. The communications major was more complicated. I really don't like doing things I don't like. I think it's a waste of time and I don't do it. So I was just taking a fairly random assortment of classes that didn't align to any one major at Brandeis. Mm-hmm. So I did a independent interdisciplinary major, which is like a build your own major in communications kind of with a focus in marketing because I'm really interested in like telling people stories and how we communicate and that's really nice because it gives you the power to take whatever classes you want essentially and craft them into what the major that you most want to do and I feel like that has allowed me to get way more out of Brandeis because I'm not trying to fulfill kind of unnecessary requirements like to get an anth major you have to take really specific classes or to get an english major you have to take classes from certain like years and stuff but with this i'm allowed to just take what actually interests me was brandeis offering that option to be able to create your own major something that drew you to the campus not at all i didn't really know about it and i honestly like i feel like i didn't have a ton of options when i was picking a school I didn't apply to as many schools as some people I knew, and people from my high school aren't usually that successful, I guess. Not to say that you can't go to UMass or Salem State and be successful, but my friends from high school are, for the most part, working minimum wage jobs every summer. They're not getting internships. They're not always that ambitious. 
So I chose Brandeis so I could not go to UMass because everyone I know goes to UMass Amherst. I didn't want to go to UMass Amherst and just be in high school for the rest of college. (laughs) And Brandeis gave me a ton of financial aid. That really made the choice for us. Um, I say us because it's definitely like a family decision. With the amount of aid Brandeis gave me, it would have been kind of silly not to go because UMass, like if my high school has a full scholarship to UMass, which I probably would have gotten, but even just with like financial aid, Brandeis really met my needs. So it would have cost like less than going to a state school. So it would have been crazy not to go. And you wanted to stay in state? At the time I didn't, but now I'm really glad I did. My moms really wanted me to stay in state. That was really important to them. So I didn't look much outside of Massachusetts. Um, Definitely not outside of the Northeast. Mm -hmm. Um, It was just important to them. And I'm really glad because I see, especially one of my moms, I see her almost every week. I see her really often, which I definitely couldn't do. Yeah, I could not do that if I went to school somewhere else. And I go home, like, fairly often. My little sister is in high school. Oh. So it's nice to be able to see her and stuff. Um, other than the IIM, what's something that you didn't expect from Brandeis that you're happy to have? Honestly, the best part is the people. And I really didn't realize this freshman year. I hadn't found the right group of friends at all. I feel like this is my junior year, and it's the first year I've really been like, yes, this is where I belong. I don't think I really felt that before. Mm-hmm. And I think my team is definitely a big part of that also like my community of like film oriented people has helped that a lot but I am really close with a few of my friends from home but just looking at the general makeup of who I was friends with before and where they've gone with their career careers and stuff just makes me so glad I went here and so glad I'm surrounded by the people I am because there's other people who are motivated and passionate and care about what they're doing because I hate apathy. It's so fucking dumb. (laughs) Like, being around people who don't care is the most frustrating thing ever to me because I care so much. Like, I agree with that. And then you think that you're putting in a lot more effort than they are. Um, And sometimes that makes you want to give up. Yeah. But you shouldn't. And I just definitely am a lot happier with the friends I've been able to make here. And that's really important to me. And I think I got far more opportunities here. Like, I've been really lucky with what I've been able to do with my summers. And that's amazing. I think I'm on a really good career path. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't have found that at other schools. Yeah, so um, as a fellow film major, Brandeis (laughs) is like a small, small, small art school. And we don't have, like, a lot of that technology that a lot of other Mm -hmm. film schools or art schools do um how have you been able to land all of your internships and what do you think that you've been doing differently than some other of us (laughs) (laughs) so I think the difference is really in the internships I've looked for for reference my summer after freshman year I did marketing for coca-cola and hubert's lemonade which then led to me being a brand ambassador for them my sophomore year of college And then the summer after sophomore year, I did video for American Eagle and Aerie. 
which are brands that I'm really passionate about. And this summer, I'm looking to do more fashion marketing and I've been interviewing with Under Armour and Urban Outfitters. And I think that our school doesn't set us up very well for actual film production jobs. Obviously, my dream job would be to work for Netflix, doing something super creative. But I know to work for a film company like that, you really have to work your way up. You have to work a lot of shitty jobs to get to a place with a lot of creative control. And so my plan is to start more in the fashion world and marketing world because I also am passionate about that in hopes that I can then skip the lowest rungs of the creative film world because I'll have really good experience. And the Coca-Cola job, I got through Brandeis Handshake Network, which is bizarre. I think I'm the only one who's used that successfully to get a job. I know that I interview well, and that's why I got that job, because my first interview, I did not even know what Hubert's Lemonade was. They asked mm-hmm. me if I drank it, and I was like, no, but I know Mike's Lemonade, and they were like, how old are you? Also, that's <laughs> totally different, and somehow I still got to the next round, but they hadn't contacted me back, and I contacted them. I am very much contacting companies independently and applying directly through them. My job at American Eagle and Aerie, I got because I badgered Aerie excessively until I got to talk with their marketing VP for a class. I was doing a project on Aerie because I think it's so amazing. I care a lot about body image and body positivity and women's empowerment. And so I wanted to do a project on them. And I got to interview her for a project And I prepared really well for the interview because it's something that I care about a lot. And she was really impressed and wanted to meet me. So I happened to be in Pittsburgh visiting my best friend and went to their headquarters for a meeting with their marketing VP. And she hired me for the summer on the spot. And I think a lot of that was luck, but a lot of it was putting myself out there and trying to network and ask for what I wanted and make it really clear that this is what I care about they are where I want to be and I think that what they're doing is amazing and I'm knowledgeable about it. It also helps a lot that our classes do give us the ability to have strong technical skills. I think even though we don't have as much in terms of classes as a school like Emerson might have, I think that the film professors we do have are good. I know Mark has had a huge impact on like my development in terms of editing he has spent so many hours meeting with me one-on-one about my projects, about my documentary mm-hmm. from the past year, and that's been so helpful. So when I got to Aryan American Eagle, they were impressed with my skills and gave me a lot of creative control, which culminated in me being able to produce my own video series for them called Real Talks, which was from about nine hours of footage that they shot through their campaign that used real girls as models. And that was really amazing. But I really think people need to get out there more and ask for what they want. And working in fashion is definitely what I feel will give me the most opportunities right now, even though it can be hard because I don't necessarily fit in with the fashion majors from other schools. Our school doesn't even have a fashion major. So in a lot of ways, I don't belong with them. I was also doing marketing for Aerie and videos for American Eagle and Aerie, 
and I definitely fit in a lot better with the video team, even though it was like all men, they were older than me. So it was an interesting dynamic. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you have the documentary done before? You had it done before you went to your area internship, right? I didn't. You, oh, you actually. didn't? No, they hadn't seen it when they hired me. Oh, okay. I thought, yeah. okay. They had read an article I wrote and were impressed by that. Got it. And then I just expressed a strong preference for video. And that's how I ended up working there. But ended up being way better at that than copywriting for fashion. I know never to use the word perfect at Aerie, but writing Instagram posts is not necessarily my forte. <laughs> well, I want to talk more about the documentary, actually. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and why you just started, decided to start it? Yeah, so I did a documentary about the media's effects on the body image of college athletes. And it first started when Mark reached out to me to TA his multimedia storytelling class. He told me as part of TAing, I would have the opportunity to work one-on-one -on -one with him on a longer form project. So I started thinking about what I wanted and I wanted to do a project about fashion because I was just coming off of my project about Aerie, which was a written piece for a class. And I was really excited about it. And then when I was doing pre-interviews, which Mark suggested to me because he knows everything, mm. <laughs> um, one of the women I was interviewing was talking about how hard it was to wear going out clothes as an athlete because you have a more muscular build and you're not working out and eating to like look cute in your tops. And it can be frustrating to have to listen to all the negative self-talk of people who aren't athletes and are just like, oh, maybe I should do some crunches so I can look good in my crop top when their their bodies have a greater purpose than that. And then they have to get clothes to fit them when they're not necessarily made for them. And I'm really interested in athletics, obviously. So that kind of grabbed my interest and I switched my whole project focus to that. I'm really passionate about body image. It's a subject I care a lot about. I think that in my eventual career, I really need to be making an impact in terms of helping the body image of women and preventing, I guess, negative body image and eating disorders. Eating disorders have the highest rate of death for women of any mental illness and the whole world is just helping them flourish and people really hate talking about it so much which is awful and women are all over saying negative things about their bodies and I really don't let that happen I know on my team one of my rules is no negative self-talk you don't say bad shit about your body because it's an echo chamber that's why I wanted to work at Aerie that's what's behind my project obviously like I relate to that project as an athlete and every woman in America has thought about body image every young girl in America has thought about it in so many other countries too but I feel like if I'm not helping that in some way what am I even doing like it's just a waste and I know that in order to get to that place I have to make the career moves that are smart. Like, I have a very specific goal. 
I want to be able to help women with having positive body images and being able to like interject where an eating disorder could develop and I want to do that through media because that's what I'm passionate about so I know what I care about and I know what I enjoy doing and I want to combine that and that's why I'm so driven in my career because I'm trying to make the moves necessary in order to eventually do that what was the biggest takeaway from the documentary besides like the technical knowledge that you gained I would say that it wasn't people's friends or hearing from family and stuff that they remembered as helping their body image. The people I talked to brought up um, moments in the media when they saw someone who looked like them, who looked real, who wasn't stick thin, who looked like them, I guess. And when they saw that person, they realized that the world viewed that person as beautiful and it was validating. And those were the moments they remembered. And that's why I love Aerie, because they provide that. And for me, it was more complicated than that. But hearing that from those other people over and over was really interesting. Because I was like, wow, representation matters so much. And that's just for one area. Like, there's Mm -hmm. also representation of people of color, people of other sexualities, for religions. Like, there's so many ways to represent people, and that is actually so meaningful and important. And I just made the documentary because I think it's something people should be talking about. And it was something I cared enough about to work on for a year. There's not really many things you can care enough about to work on for a whole year. That's so long. Since you're going abroad to do the new media communications, it's a big one. In Spain? Yeah, in Spain. What do you think that you're going to be able to get from that? I'm not sure how much it'll help my technical skills. I wasn't that set on going abroad. I was going to just graduate this spring instead. When I entered college, that was my plan to just graduate in three years. But I decided to go abroad because I really want to be fluent in Spanish. Spanish was really hard for me when I first came in. I dropped the class first semester freshman year, but I really want to speak Spanish. So that's essentially what's behind it. And the programs from CIE are really specific to what I like studying. Like, I think there's even a class that's like fashion advertising. I don't have the opportunity to take classes like that at Brandeis because we don't have an actual communications major. So the classes are just much more specific to my interests and more applicable to my internships because I'm kind of cobbling together a major here. And then in the summer, I have to go and work with people who are in a communications program or in a fashion communications program. And it's hard to compete with that. So mm. one of the like, quote unquote, no no's um, to picking classes abroad is like no photography classes or no fashion classes i saw that really we, yeah it was on one of the slides when we had our they said no two credits yeah, yeah but even like the photography one you can kind of finagle because we do offer a photography class yeah but um, it's hard because they don't transfer yeah. necessarily right but um i thought that was interesting when you said you were interested in fashion i was like well that's the number one thing brand i said Brandeis no to doesn't like yeah. yeah and it's annoying because 
it's ridiculous for them to act like that's not a valid career when so many schools have actual programs in it. And it's a huge industry. We're all buying clothes all the time. So. And you can definitely make a career out of it immediately on Instagram. Yeah. I mean, I could have a career out of fashion. If I were to leave school right now, I probably could get a brand to hire me to do fashion video. Mm-hmm. Like, theoretically, like, Aryan American Eagle would want me back. They liked my work. But it's just kind of crazy that our school, I think what they think is that it's too lowbrow. It's not an actual art. It's not actual culture, so they don't want us to study it. And I think that's an outdated belief, and they should get over it. (laughs) Okay, I really am interested in fashion. I would like to switch gears a (laughs) bit. Um, I love asking about some of these um, most embarrassing experience during college. If you have one that you would like to share, I'd love to laugh at you. (laughs) Yeah. So, I have to just pick one. Um, yeah. Well, I have one right off the top of my head because we're talking about fashion. Mm -hmm. I showed up to the first day of my internship this summer. I was so excited. I was like, yeah, I'm finally here. I just moved into my apartment in Pittsburgh. My house, actually. I was subletting. And I was wearing my yellow dress for my lemonade job. I have my little backpack on from L.L. Bean. And I showed up and have never been more embarrassed in my entire life. It was so clear that I did not belong with the other fashion students who were wearing really, like, nice high-end clothes. My dress was, like, $9 at H&M because it was yellow, and I needed a yellow dress for my job. No one had a backpack. Not one person. And I was like, is there, like, an anti-backpack thing in (laughs) Pittsburgh? What did I miss? What memo did I miss? And it was just so embarrassing because it was like we're in one of those children's games that's like pick the thing that doesn't belong. And it was really easy to tell I was the one that didn't belong. That was so embarrassing. Another thing is that my first rugby game of college, I got punched in the face and gave my own teammate a black eye. No. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get kicked off the team. Like Talk about violent. <laughs> I know. And the ref didn't... I also got picked up off the ground, and then the other team got a penalty because I was so small. They tried to tackle me and actually picked me up because I was oh. so much smaller than them. And then another girl went to hit me, and you can stiff arm and push someone off, but I was shorter than the other girls too, so it hit my face and oh. just took me out right at the cheek. And then in doing a two-part tackle, I cleated a senior on the president of rugby and gave her a black eye for like the first week of her senior year and I was like wow I mean our coach was really happy with how I played still for some reason but I was so humiliated I was like I just got there were no hard and wrecked everyone there weren't because she gave me a black eye a week later oh and then I spent the second week of college with the black eye (laughs) (laughs) I think she low-key just wanted to get back at me are you going to be on the rugby team for your senior year? Yeah. Okay. But I just finished my presumably final semester as captain mm-hmm. because you can't be captain your last semester. And I won't be here for two more semesters at Brandeis. So I will just be playing. We're actually working on a documentary about rugby right now because I've filmed rugby footage every year of college. So this Saturday we're doing sit-down interviews with a bunch of ruggers and getting their take and then we'll film the follow-up a year from now 
And then I also have interviews from the past two years of different people. It's really cool. Yeah, you'll really see how see how our team evolved. Yeah, because it's been crazy. Wow, that's something I'm looking forward to watching. Is there anything else that you would like to plug? Um. Well, the documentary for one. Where can people check that out? So I actually have a personal website, www.elizabethkowetgluckman.com. You can find out how to spell my name on the title of this episode, or you can check out my Vimeo. My Instagram is elizabeth27cg, and that also has links to my website and projects. And just check out my videos, I guess, because I think especially the documentary is really valuable for people to watch. And right now, almost everyone who's watched it and talked to me about it are women. And guess what, men? You need to fucking watch it, too. Because people think women's issues are for women to talk about, but I disagree. Oh, wait, there's one other thing I want to talk about. Go ahead. Because I was talking about this last night with the rugby team. And we were talking about, like, feminism and toxic masculinity and some pretty heavy topics. And... Something interesting that we were discussing was that I really, truly believe that the root of our societal problems right now is in toxic masculinity and the unhealthy burden that our society places on men to be stereotypically masculine. And right now we're having a total evolution in terms of the women's movements and Me Too, Time's Up, and that's great. I'm all for women talking about what has happened to them. Obviously, like, I've done that as well. And I think it's great. I hope people find it empowering. But I think as a society, we need to focus more on the men. Because right now we're like putting a band-aid on a bullet wound by just hearing women's stories. We need to focus on what our society right now puts on men and how that creates the behaviors that is really ruining the lives of women. Because people aren't born with such negative impulses and negative behaviors. It's learned behavior. And I really think our society is so focused on women telling stories and women supporting women. But actually, first off, men need to support women. But we need to realize why men are doing what they're doing and how we can all work to change that. Because having such a one-sided dialogue right now is just a waste. Like, we're just going to bleed out of that Mm -hmm. (laughs) band-aid. And it's so dumb. Because if we're not talking about why things are happening, we might as well not talk about it. Like, not actually. People can talk about it. No, I'm talking about it. But it's really important that we get to the root of this issue. Right. I care a lot about it. If you don't talk about the why, then it becomes a circular conversation of just, oh, yes, anding this and that. I agree. And I think that's a big problem with feminist groups on campus at Brandeis is that some very feminist women who I've met through classes and whatnot really want to, they want to only listen to women. They want to talk about what has happened to women. They want to talk about that. And they don't want to talk about what actual changes can our school make, can we make, and how can we affect the root of what's happening. And you can't only think about women and do that. And one thing that's been really important this year is the Brandeis Believes Survivors Movement. And that kind of trickled away to nothing, which was a disappointment when they had a chance to make actual change. Because Brandeis doesn't put the offenses of P- 
people convicted of sexual assault on transcripts and that allows people to continue transferring to other schools to go to internships to get hired at jobs with no one knowing what they did and allows a pattern to continue because people who assault someone or abuse someone once that doesn't really exist what exists is people who systematically do that and we need to one get to the why and two make sure that person is marked so they can't just keep doing it maybe that mark won't hold maybe people will hire them anyway but brandeis is not doing what they could right now they have the opportunity to make change and are actively doing the opposite brandeis is responsible for every person that they let go on without putting a mark on their transcript it makes me really angry no it's all valid though um, yeah it's so basically what it is guys is men you're not getting off the hook and we're coming for you and we want to know why you're feeling the way you're feeling <laughs> because we care too lots to think about yeah um thank you for sharing that and anytime thank you for coming on the podcast everybody check out thank you everything that elizabeth has to offer <laughs> Thank you for not letting me sound awkward. No, you did a great, <laughs> great job. Um, thank you all for listening. Again, please check out the past episodes and come back every Wednesday for new episodes. You can find the podcast here on iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you're listening. Follow the podcast on Facebook at Who's Who Podcast and on Instagram at Who's Who Pod.